0: Leaders see potential in every situation. Therefore, they concentrate their thinking upon the potential and possibility of success. John Maxwell.
1: Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts,
0: Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi. I'm Brian. And I am Ed. This is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Ed, good to hear from you again, man. We had a good time last week working with Ethan, our, our uh, my, my little boy there, uh, and going over the interview we had with Jane. But this week, man, I'm pretty stoked to get into this subject, brother.
1: Yeah, I think this week uh, also will feed nicely into the episode we recorded before that one. But last week was a pleasure working with your your little gentleman, showing us both up. And uh, I think he showed us how to podcast properly. is. what I think.
0: Uh, hey, so I felt bad earlier. We're sitting. So obviously, you know, it's morning time here. I uh, We'd sat down to eat uh, breakfast. And then I got up and I was like, all right, I told Michelle I got to go up and take a shower because I just finished riding the Peloton and stuff. So I was pretty sweaty and I was like, all right, I got to get ready because I got to record with Ed. As soon as I said that, he perked up, bro. He's like, oh, we're recording today, dad. And I'm like, well, buddy, you didn't read the book, though. Were you going to read the book? And he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, leaders eat last, buddy. You're supposed to read that book and then you could have, you know, you could join in, but you got to know what we're talking about to be able to. He's like, oh, what was the book? (laughs) So we'll see. I'm going to I'm going to walk in later. (laughs) <laughs> when uh when we're done recording this one i'm gonna walk in and hand him the book and say hey man here's that book i talked to you about see what he says you know <laughs> but he i'm telling you brother he he loves this podcast thing I, I might have to look at helping him he wants to do one he wants to do one about um his video gaming and stuff you know because he talked about he likes to play Fortnite and stuff and he wants to kind of do something like that michelle's a little iffy about it i kind of am but i think i think we can do it in a controlled manner um where i can help him so yeah
1: i think i think it, it wouldn't be a bad idea you could do a little short 15 20 minute you know uh video game. there's a lot of video game type podcasts out there but how many are from the you know the perspective of a of a young gentleman mm. um
0: and then you know and that gives you an executive producer credit <laughs> executive producer i, I mean he so when we're sitting here and we're, we're recording, he watches everything I'm doing, like with the whole, make sure the adjustments and everything like, so he's very in tune with it right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, but Hey, so getting back into this, this week's topic, man, I'm really stoked on this. Um, we, what matter of fact, we were just having discussions talking about work and stuff like that. And, and you know, just well as I do, you brought up two different topics, uh, <laughs> It actually matched what we're going to get, to get into today. So I'm I'm pretty stoked by that because it's literally straight on application of what we're going to go over. And those of you listening, what we're going to go over is, and you've heard us talk about it all the time, Leaders Eat Last. And I already mentioned just a few minutes ago, Leaders Eat Last is one of Ed and I's favorite books. It's really, really good. I did. I listened this week, I listened to the whole audiobook again, plus I listened to the chapters we're covering this week a couple times. So I'm really in tune with it right now. Uh, but we're only going to cover what is considered part six. It's called Destructive Abundance, and it's chapters 17 through 21. We're going to cover those uh, for this particular show because there's so much that this book offers. We don't want to, how would I say this, saturate the material and give up the quality for the quantity, if that makes sense. What are you thinking, buddy?
1: Yeah, I thought, so when we I remember when we were talking about doing it, and we were like, this is a lot of material. I and mean, you know, we're a fan of Simon Sinek and and what he writes. And uh, and it was weird because we opened it, and immediately when you open it and you see that that section, right? Part six, in it, leadership lesson. We were like, oh, leadership lesson, wait a minute, let's check this out. And uh, we decided, hey, let's just use this, you know, this section. And like I said before, I think a lot of it, a lot of what we talk about today is going to be trust building or built off trust. And we've done that episode already. So I think that that's uh, it's really key to play off of those. Oh, yeah. I I think I'm I'm looking forward to it. I learned some stuff reading and prepping for the show. Uh, This has been my um, social distancing project this week. I've been able to at work do a lot of, of research. I've had the person I work with in my office has been out with a sinus infection. So, mm. cause everybody's taking no precautions. He was told to stay home. So it gave me an opportunity at the end of the day. I went through the, my chapters that, uh, that I'm going to discuss today, and highlighted some, some excellent points, and hopefully it'll generate some good discussion between the two of us today and, uh, our listeners will get a lot out of it.
0: Yeah. I'm definitely excited to hear your thoughts on certain areas. Uh, especially chapter 20, where you talked about earlier before we got on. But what I wanted to hit upon, Ed, before we get into this, I read this. I read the quote by John Maxwell. Uh, Leaders yes. see potential in every situation. Therefore, they concentrate their thinking upon the potential and possibility of success. And the reason I read that, Ed, I really feel like what he's saying there is, this, you know, we're looking for what can be, all right? And in the same manner, when I look at these chapters and I look at what we're going to talk about today, I feel like that's exactly what we're doing by expressing our opinions and, and, and even reading some of what Simon Sinek has to say and even other people who he interviewed for the book is we're seeing that potential of what it could be. Now, some of the stuff we're going to talk about, though, is what it could be in the negative sense. And we want to stay away from that. And some people Maybe they're listening and their organization's already in that little bubble, that little area of the bad, where this might help them shift gears, you know, and potential and possibility of success. That's where I'm really excited to see where, you know, where this goes. So you, you ready to dive into this or what, man?
1: Yes, I I am ready to dive into this. And, and, you know, when you said potential, Brian, the one thing that stuck out to me is, you know, when you. In the military, right? What are we promoted off of at this point? Potential. We're promoted. We're promoted off our potential, where we see, you know, our growth going or the potential for us to grow. So, potential is very important and being able to evaluate it. Mm-hmm. So, hopefully today we'll, we'll pick up some hints.
0: Yeah, you know, Ed, I bring up a, a little story, real small story, and it's very much in that same realm of the potential thing. Uh, I, I mentioned it before on the show. In the last unit that I served with, uh, this one young man—he was—I saw so much in him. And when I when I told him, I, I had him become the uh, the barracks manager or the floor manager for the junior enlisted side of things once uh, the NCO left. And this guy was a specialist, great great kid. Last name Keese. So Keese, if you're listening, this is about you, buddy. But I used to tell you know when he'd have drawbacks or he had setbacks and certain things. I used to tell him all the time, man, I said, I'm investing in you just like I'm investing in the stock market. I see potential for growth. I'm not worried about those small dips we have every once in a while. What does scare me is if I have a major drawback and I lose a lot of my leadership capital that I've put in you, I lose that uh, because of something big bad happens. But I said, I'm not going to withdraw all of that I've invested in you because of the potential I see in you. And that's, I love what you said, you know, because that is what we do. We do promote off potential. Mm -hmm. We do grow new leaders because of their potential. If you, if you're looking at a kid or or, it doesn't matter, they're not even a kid, could be in a grown adult, doesn't matter. And you see that they're just not grasping the concept Well, maybe their potential is not there for that particular thing. Maybe it's something else and you just got to find it, you know, and that's the whole point about being a good influencer, a good leader, and just, you know, driving on when we need to. So, Ed, I'm ready to dive into chapter 17, man. All right, you lead, I'll follow. Rock and roll, buddy. When we get into chapter 17, chapter 17, leadership lesson one. So goes the culture, so goes the company. And where we're going with this, it's crazy. Uh, Ed, you know, they start off that, that chapter, he talks about Goldman Sachs. And when we think of Goldman Sachs nowadays, we think of this corrupt organization, money hungry, just all that. And it's because of the last 20 years or so of how they've changed their reputation. And he goes into the whole idea that before that, Goldman Sachs was basically, uh, you know, no pun intended, the gold standard. And they were the 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 ideal company who they they basically set their uh, mark of approval on something. That mean it was rock solid. It was good. And it was because of the culture they had in, we're going to progress as a group and we'll fail individually type attitude. Uh, but then it shifted. And he talks about this. It shifted in the 90s, Ed, where it turned into money hungry. It turned into... Uh, I'm out for myself and only me. And and a lot of the older guys didn't like it and they started getting pushed out. And I've seen that before. I've seen when I was recruiting, they actually flipped the, the script on recruiting um, back in the day. It was individually, and then they turned into this team concept. Now, I was one of those people who did not accept that team concept. I didn't like it. I, I didn't like the fact that other people were reaping the benefits off of all the hard work I put in. but what I wasn't thinking about is I wasn't thinking about the team at the time. And it, that really, to me, that kind of sets that sets that whole, that mindset. Do you relate in that same manner
1: at all? Ed? Yeah. I think that, uh, focusing on, on a team is something that you, you, I don't know what you call it. Learn behavior, I guess. Yes. Because even for us as, as non-commissioned officers, and I'm going to talk about this in the next chapter a little bit is, I think we spend a lot of time not worrying about the team. I, Well, let's think about us at the Academy. Like how many times did you hear? Well, that's not, you know, Hey, this is messed up. This is messed up. You know, the grass needs to be cut. Well, that's not my platoon. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. that's not my whatever piece of the organization, but we're still in the same you know, organization. Remember the old, old rap song. We're all in the same gang. We're all in the same (laughs) gang. Yeah. Uh, There's no, you know, people are quick to be like, well, my, my platoon is squared away well, okay, but why can't you help out, you know, Sergeant Weber and his platoon? Yeah. Oh, you know, uh, they're down a person or or whatever the case may be, but we're so focused on our own piece of the pie as a section that we don't do that. And I think that's kind of where this goes with me is you don't focus on the teamwork necessarily, you know, especially when it comes time to let's get off work. Well, there's one section out there still pulling weeds in their area. But I'm going home because my section is done. That's, that's, not, that's not the team. And, and, and it doesn't build that trust. and It doesn't build that cohesion, mm-hmm. which you really need from a team, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely could say, though, over over the past 21, almost 22 years now, I've noticed as I've elevated in positions or rank and run and, and from, from a, you know, kind of saw from a higher perspective. And I'm not saying higher perspective, but basically kind of I'm no longer magnified on the smaller unit. I'm, I'm starting to broaden my My view, you know, I'm I'm viewing things from 52,000 feet instead of 5,000 feet type thing. Yes, I've I've learned that you have to you have to have that mentality. Yet you have to look at okay, what's better for everyone and not just one, who is actually participating in the the entire group and trying to make everything better that type of thing and looking at. And I I want to read this real quick from this chapter, I really liked what it talked about because we're we're basically talking about the culture of an organization and how we set up the culture. And we've talked about culture. Um, another real good book before I read this, it's called Culture Code. Uh, really, really good book. I, I listened to it some time back. Daniel Coyle is his name. Yes. And great book on culture. And he goes really into that book about, uh, there's one section I loved, and it was talking about the head coach for the Spurs, San Antonio Spurs. His name is Popovich. Popovich. Yeah. yeah. And how he set the culture in that organization to become such a great team when they did, you know, during the Duncan years and stuff like that. So, but um, not. let me let me digress back to the our, our book we're reading now. So it says, Every culture has its own history, traditions, languages, and symbols. When we identify with a culture, we articulate our belonging to that group And align ourselves with a shared set of values and beliefs. We may define ourselves in part by the culture of our country or of citizenship, for example. I am an American or by the culture of an organization such as I am a Marine. This doesn't mean we think about our culture identity on a daily basis, but when we are away from the group, or if our tribe is threatened from the outside it becomes more important it can even become our primary focus remember how the country came together as one after the events of september 11th and that mm. that that played a big that played a big role with me ed cuz i remember i remember it was like now there are kids out there that they they weren't even. They, they may be listening. They weren't even alive during uh September 11th. but there's a lot of listeners we have that were, and they could probably remember that next day there was an American flag. They were, you know, the old red, white, and blue was flapping everywhere. almost every yeah everywhere, every door, you know, door sill, everything, and it was like there was a different type of feeling, man. Like I really felt like I was a I was a part of something huge and something important, and I felt like. You know that love, and I'm gonna talk about I'm gonna talk about feelings in a minute, um, in a few minutes where he talks about it also. But it felt big. How did you feel during that time? So it's funny you talk about you. You know, we're talking about the the teams
1: and, and the cultures, right? So I was in Canada uh, at the time that September 11th happens, and the day after, it was kind of the same up there. Maybe not every house but you've seen American flags out in support mm-hmm. of their ally because, so you're talking about being a part of a team as the United States, but what about our allies and the part of the team of our allies? So Canada was showing some kind of support to us. So now we're talking about a bigger uh, team and bigger culture. So, mm-hmm. it, it, but the, the patriotism and the like overall, just the the way people responded September 11th. You're right. I do remember that you know patriot the the patriotic um fever kind of if you will had, had, was catchy after that it was everywhere like mhm And so, and and that's a great, that was a great feeling at that time uh, to overcome something that was so tragic. It it was really good. Right. Um, But, you know, like I said, in Canada, they were still showing some support to a teammate to me. Absolutely. Not to me, but they were.
0: Well, And and, so Simon goes into this book and he talks about earlier on. And if people want to get out there and and do some research on YouTube, they can. They can look up all kinds of stuff about Simon Sinek and what he talks about when it comes to the circle of safety. I, I would definitely say that when it came to the circle of safety during that time I felt safe as an american as an american citizen I felt like I was a part of something big and that I could trust other US citizens and, and and those who want to be americans or those who are supporting us such as canada I felt like they had my back I felt like I felt there was a lot more strength if that makes sense uh it it just it was it was pretty cool and that's why that's why I want to jump into this next little part, uh, in this same chapter, and I'm not going to read much more from the actual chapter because it is about the culture and stuff. But it's understanding, it's diving deeper into that idea of the feeling of safety. Now, earlier on in the book, Simon does talk about serotonin, oxytocin, these chemicals that are that are produced because of those feelings or how things, our situations, and whatnot. We're not going to really go into the serotonin, and oxytocin, what produces it. I recommend people get the book themselves, "Leaders Eat Last" by Simon Sinek, mm-hmm. and kind of you know refresh themselves if they've if they've listened to it before, if they haven't, or, or they've read it before to go ahead and do that. That way, they can understand it because he also he also goes into other areas about the the negative the the negative um, chemicals. They're really not. They're not negative. It's just, you don't want to be filled with them. It's like, you know, the dopamines um, that, you know, different of different activities. But let me, let me go into this where it says, it's always fascinating to pay attention to the words people choose when describing their relationship with their jobs. Words like love and pride are feelings associated with oxytocin and serotonin respectively. I can tell you it's, that's exactly, you know, uh, I'm, Cue up the commercial, you know, we're gonna talk about it right now. But go when the bearded ninja.
1: Oh, you wanted me to do the commercial? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <clears throat> That's the bearded ninja, bearded ninja beard bomb with real snake venom and pomade. For the man who stares into the sun even during an eclipse and steps on snakes while he's blinded. Bearded Ninja, Beard Balm, available soon, nowhere at all.
0: <laughs> oh, I like the eclipse, staring at an eclipse. <laughs> no, But that was one of the things that um, he, I've talked about before. Like, I don't know when I want to retire. And he said to me, he said, when you don't love it anymore, he told me, he said, when you get up in the morning and you don't love what you do. And it's, that is stuck with me. And you know how many times I've had that discussion with seniors, Ed, about if you still love it, if you still enjoy it and you still have pride in it, then don't be putting in that retirement packet type thing. Uh, and that's re- that's pretty much the reason why I have it yet. Now, I don't, I can't speak for you in that sense, but I can tell you, I'm I'm not retiring because I still have those exact words. I still have the the love for the job and that pride in what I do and everything. And I, I look forward every day going in and doing what I do. So, but uh, what are your thoughts? So I got the same
1: thing from him, uh, kind of. So basically, uh, you know, I got the, when you roll out of bed in the morning and kick your feet over the side and you go, why am I still doing this? That's when it's time. To call it a day, but no, no, I agree. And I so. I'm in a, a in a situation where it's like, um, uh, very much leadership based with those type of decisions for me right now, right? Because I moved sections recently, and what I am doing now is very rewarding. And, um, I super enjoy what I'm doing now. I could do 10 more years in the military doing what I do now, yeah. All right, maybe not because I'd be pushing, I'd be pushing 60. <laughs> My problem right now is I'm, I'm, I'm fighting with father time. That's my issue, but yeah, I enjoy what I do. So, you know, you still get up every day and, and and do it, but yeah, I get the same information from the bearded Ninja.
0: You must've asked him, how do you know when it's time? That's, that's exactly what I asked him. Yeah. I asked him, how did you know when it's time to retire? And he literally, he wasn't, he was quick to tell me too. And that's, that's what felt good though. But that that kind of built my, I mean, I already had faith in him and that's why I, I actually ask him his opinion on things. Uh, and and there are probably plenty of people out there who are listening. They have that same type of individual in their life where they'll ask their opinion because they respect their opinion. And, and that's, that's good. That's, that's, that's building upon that circle of safety that we're, we're discussing here and that trust so they can share that type of information. And I'm not worried about if I say, how do you know this? He's not going to come at me sideways. Uh, trying to make me feel bad about retiring or feel bad for retired or, or not retiring type thing. So, and that's, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, and I want to, I got one last little paragraph. I wanted to kind of get out there and read before we jump into the next chapter. Cause, because I really feel like this, it says a lot, All right, When we assess how we feel about our jobs, we are very often responding to the environments in which we work. It is not just about the work we are doing per se. And when a culture changes from a place where people love to work into a place where they go to work simply to take something for themselves, the finger gets pointed at the people who run the company. People respond to the environment in which they operate. It is the leaders who decide what kind of environment they want to build. Will they build an inner circle around those closest to them, or will they extend the circle of safety to the outer edges of the organization? Okay, so that right there, I think that's picking your favorites or being fair across the board with everyone. If you, if you say you're going to do something a certain way, you do it for everyone. Uh, I've heard this before, and I've seen this before, Ed. Uh, you, you've, you probably have too. Um, as a matter of fact, I just, as a matter of fact, I just sat down with a brigade star major a couple days ago and we had a discussion and he was, he said, Hey, I need you to come in strong, but not too strong that, you know, you, you know, obviously you want the culture to be good. And I was like, man, this kind of falls along with what Ed and I are going to talk about. And he says to me, he says, don't treat people of different ranks, any different that, you know, basically that rank has its privileges attitude. He's like, if you have an E seven. Who's not making the mark? Just like a private, they then mm-hmm. do the same thing for both of them because you have to, you have to show that everyone gets treated the same because everyone is the same. You know, everyone's a part of this. You can't segregate themselves. Yeah. And I, you know, and I even brought it up to him after I said, you know, Sar Major, it's it's this is it's great that you're bringing this up because these are the these are a lot of the philosophies that I follow personally in my life, but also in my leadership. Um, and, and I mentioned uh, about the Simon Sinek and stuff, uh, but I just, I really, I think that is true is if you have, let's just say you have like in the army, for instance, and there are a lot of organizations out there have a lot of different types of rules, regulations of what they need to go by. But let's just say in the army, I have a sergeant first class or no, you know what I'll say a master sergeant. And this isn't true. I'm just saying, if this was happening, I have a master sergeant who does not meet height and weight standard. They're over by 5%, right? And then I have a Joe who is over by 4%. Yeah, one's over a little bit more than the other, but I still have to do the same things. I still have to flag them both. Uh, Basically, no favorable actions for those of you listening. They can't receive certain things, awards and stuff like that. You can't cover that up. Or I can't say, oh, let me check that and then take that, that mass on in another room and, and then really pull that string a little tighter, you know, that tape a little tighter to make sure they pass type thing. That's not fair. And that's, I really, you know, and you know where I got a lot of this from too, Ed, was during our time at the academy where every every class we had to go through a certification process. I, I carried that with me, you know. I carried that with me to my uh, unit in Korea where I made sure those, because uh, I only let E7s do the height and weight. I made sure that they were, they knew what they were doing, you know, and they, they, they did, many of them did, but I did a verification and then I let them know that you have to be fair across the board. I mean, I had, there was a, we had an officer, a senior officer who didn't pass tape multiple times. And I, I still fly, he was still flagged, you know? So your, your thoughts on all this, man.
1: Yeah, no, I think because you, you know um, when you do stuff like that, the eyes are on you when you don't think they're there. So what you're watching, you're setting that culture through your actions, which goes into the next chapter. Yeah. Uh, but you're, you're you're making the culture of that organization that it's acceptable for seniors, but not for junior. You know. So you you have to withhold the standard, whatever the standard is laid out through regulation or doctrinally or whatever your organization's standard operating procedure is. That's what you have to adhere to. It doesn't you know spe- uh, specify Ranks for stuff like that, so I I think that's very important because, you know, the culture of your organization is what drives your company, and I think that's what Simon really talks about a lot in this chapter. Is, you know, the the reason it says, "So goes the culture, so goes the company." Yep. A good culture, you're likely to have good results in your company. If you allow a poor or bad culture, then that's what you're going to get. You know, your production of your company is going to is going to be on the backside is poor, so. When you're not getting your desired results at a company, maybe it's a good idea as leaders Mm -hmm. to take a look at the culture and take a look at the culture you have established within, even in your own small team, it could be your own small section. Uh, What is that culture? And then what is the bigger culture of the company? Because that's probably why you're having issues
0: uh, being successful. Yep. Well, it's that circle of safety we talk about and inside a circle of safety, when people trust and share their successes and failures what they know and what they don't know the results they can be innovated okay and it's it's just natural to if if i trust you ed which i do right if i trust you i feel like i don't have to worry about my back i can tackle what's in front of me but if i don't trust you i got to i've got i've got a 360 degrees that i got to constantly be on my my guard and that's yeah. not fair So, but that's, that is exactly earlier. You just said it kind of dives into the next chapter. So why don't you take us to where that goes?
1: Okay. So we've been talking about the culture and how it impacts the company, but what impacts the culture? And that's a leadership lesson too. So goes the leader. So goes the culture Uh, Mm. in in this, uh, this chapter, the subtitle is, I believe I before you, me before we. And the first example he gives is of uh, Saddam Hussein. And it talks about how Saddam Hussein, you know, he wanted to be a leader and he was going to lead Iraq regardless. Nobody was going to prevent that. And he talks about how he really built a lot of his power and his backing prior to him coming to, you know, coming to power. And then what he did is those that were loyal to him, he showered them in wealth and he showered them in gifts. And if you've been to Iraq and you've had an opportunity to see some of these, um, palaces and these places that these people lived in and Saddam lived in, you know, their gold toilets and all these things. Yeah. So that was what he was doing. He was rewarding them for their loyalty, but he, he also said he was for the people of Iraq, but on the backside, you know, he really wasn't, he was out for himself, uh, and you know, he did some really nasty, nasty things to people who opposed him. So he didn't create a culture, you know, that was gonna lead to any kind of success for that country. Because, you know, if you opposed him, then you and your family may all end up beheaded or or whatever. So even though he was saying, Yes, I, I'm about the people, it wasn't the case. And that was the culture that he kind of um set. So the problem with that is you create a culture of mistrust and paranoia, right? Right. So if I can't trust the leader and we talked about the trust circle, I can't trust our circle of safety and the trust in it. I can't, uh, trust the leader. So, you know, through things, uh, though things may may be functional while the dictator is in power. Once he's gone, once he's ousted, the whole country is left on shaky ground for years to come. Okay. Saddam Hussein has been gone, you know, since what? Oh, Four oh five ish, yeah, yeah, and that, that country is still you know uh, on shaky ground because that's the culture that he left behind. Yes, he didn't leave a stable culture. Yes, you know, Brian, one of the things you've always talked about is leaving an organization better than you found it, and so that speaks to this that is the leader. So, so goes Brian's philosophy, right? So, so goes Brian as the leader. When you left the NCO Academy, they kept on ticking. Believe it or not, you've been gone over a year now, and that NCO Academy is still there and <laughs> still running. Yeah, yeah. And not because of me, you but know? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but but it was the culture you left behind that they could still be successful because there was that kind of like uh, unity and trust. Now, did they stumble? Probably because, you know, next leadership changes some things here and there, but basically you left something that could thrive still. And, and I think that's what Simon's really talking about in, uh, mm-hmm. in chapter 18, you know um, other than that example, Brian, what, what's another great example you could think of about,
0: you know, setting that culture up based off of the leader. So it's funny you, you brought that up. I really think about the whole idea of that whole, the leadership's the culture, but if they can't trust the leader, right. Then what we create are small pockets of, cultures. Mm. Right. So we basically segregate. Now we're all an organization, but what now we've done is we've, we've segregated others because now they're, you know, maybe this group over here only trusts them within that group, but they don't trust somebody in this other group and they don't trust, you know, because everyone's worried about what's going to happen. And then sooner or later, it does break down. It does break down, uh, individually at times too. But that to me, that's what happens is if the leader sets it right and, 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 builds up the organization in a certain way. And we're going to get into how they can do that in just a moment. But they won't segregate those within that organization. And that's a key thing. If you start segregating, you start a noticing of a segregation because of the culture, man, it's going to turn into chaos and it's going to basically be dog eat, dog world. You know, earlier we talked about the Goldman Sachs people. Mm-hmm. That was that has turned into a real problem. I mean, they're, I mean, you look at them now, People are not happy. I mean, so what people didn't like about was if if people remember correctly, there was a massive bailout that went out m- millions upon millions, I think billions upon billions of dollars uh, that got divvied out. Goldman Sachs was running into the issues and they actually used some of the bailout money to give CEOs or, or, or higher up level people bonuses for their performance. I'm like, so you're saying they failed? And we're still going to give them money for being a failure. That, that doesn't make sense. Well, so what about all the other people that work for them and stuff? You know, so they didn't, they didn't get all that. And that to me, that sets up that idea, that culture of like, well, I mean, obviously I have to take care of myself because no one else will take care of me. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's nasty.
1: Yeah. And so, that and that's what happens. So it, later on in, in this same chapter, um, Simon Sinek writes about, He talks about the more attention leaders focus on their own wealth and power, the more they stop acting like leaders and start acting more out of the attributes of a tyrant. And when we say tyrant, Mm. we think of guys like a Saddam Hussein, you know. Um, And so there's an article that was written by a guy named Mark Bowden that that Simon uses here. And I really like this. So I want to just read this in this article, which was published in the Atlantic Monthly. He describes how the tyrant leader exists only to preserve his wealth and power. And Mm -hmm. this is the problem. Power, as Bowden further explains, gradually shuts the tyrant off from the world. And as we already know, when distance is created, abstraction settles in. And soon after that comes the paranoia. The tyrant sees the world against them, which only compels them to shut out even more people they set up more and more rigid controls around their inner circle. And as their isolation increases, the organization suffers. And that's where those pockets that you talked about a few minutes ago, Brian come in because if I can't trust the leader, right. Then we're going to start forming our own little pockets of people who we can trust. So let's say, you know, Saddam Hussein is the branch chief, right? (laughs) Mm We'll use what we know (coughs) the odds are though that Brian and John and and some of these other people who trust each other are going to form their own little safe pocket. So now what we have is we have our Saddam's inner circle. Then we have little smaller competing inner circles. And now we've created that uh, competition. And when you're absent of care from above those inside the organization are less likely to cooperate, right? So this is where our platoon Let's we say our platoon, let's say you and John and I are in a platoon, that's where we're not going to help Jeff and his platoon because we have our platoon and that's what we're worried about because the culture of the organization set by Mr. Branch chief Hussein uh, created that, that thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then we're going to compete because we want to be the top platoon. So now it's a competition thing. And and this is just breeding to me, breeding chaos, Brian, you know what I mean? Like, because now I, instead of having one united um company right we've allowed the culture to splinter and we've just allowed chaos to assume there's no cooperation there's no helping there's just just like we said i before you me before we well we're not doing that it's i before everybody else it's i before you but nothing else you know yes yes i before you me before we that's i think that's why it's the sub subtitle of the paragraph ryan
0: Uh, No, and I I agree with you. Uh, You know, Ed, what I wanted to hit upon too is we don't notice this uh, often at times as leaders of setting up that culture. We may think sometimes we're doing the right thing and we're trying to do the right thing, but what we're doing is we're actually creating a bad culture. The reason I say this, is he goes into uh, talking about a situation with uh, Captain Marquette, who basically wrote that uh, book, Turn the Ship Around. It was a bestseller. uh, And from what I understand, it's a really good book. So those of you out there, if you want another book to check out, is Turn the Ship Around by Captain Marquette. But with it, when he took command on this ship, he basically had to give them every single step of, all right, do this, I do this, do this, do this. But then when a situation arose... And uh, he gave an order and the guy that was echoing the order still gave the order, even though he knew that it wasn't going to work. I think it was to set the ship uh, to one point five or one one and one third speed or whatever, because he was testing the systems. He still echoed it, but then it never happened. And he said, why didn't it happen? And then the kid that actually sets the speed says, oh, we don't have that on this ship. And then he looks over at the guy that he told the order to. And he's like, well, why did you say that to me? He's like, I just said what you said. And he learned that although he was trying to set the up, he was trying to set up that ship uh, for success uh, to be able to, uh, to be able to perform when times got tough, he realized he wasn't setting up. Right. And I think this falls into, it jumps right into decentralized command ed. Yes. And sometimes we have to look at that decentralized command. If, if I say, "Ed, you're in charge of this platoon, I give you the tasks you run with them. However you go about it, that's how you do it. Or I say, "Ed, you're in charge of this section or this company or whatever it is, you run with it. But if I say, "Hey, you're in charge of this. this is how I want you to do that. I want you to do it this way, I want you to do it this way, and I want you to do it this way." And then, you know, make sure you do this also." Well, I'm basically I might as well just run it myself. And I think that also sets up that culture because now that builds upon that trust. I trust you. We'll get the job done when I, I say, hey, I need this done. I shouldn't have to tell a person every little step. That's a to me, that's another way for the leader to, you know, that whole so goes the leader, so goes the culture. That leader mm-hmm. sets the culture with an organization. I, I think it's funny, Ed, that when when I was re-listening to that, um I in my mind was I, I could hear Jocko saying, decentralized command. Decentralized command. You know, I never wrote the time. note.
1: I even wrote the note, the decentralized command. <laughs> Did you?
0: Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and the thing is, uh, I'm actually, so I'm in, you know, you know, I'm, I'm always in all kinds of books right now. I'm, I'm doing, uh, the leadership st- strategies and tactics. Um, I mentioned it on the, uh, on the Facebook page, but th- it's a great book and he's diving into some of that decentralized command stuff. And it's just like, I can't get enough of it because I really do feel like you set up an organization for success. Now, there is an another old saying: trust but verify. So, I trust that you'll get the jo- job done, but I'm going to verify that it took place.
1: Yeah, no, you, you know, and all that Brian is is correct. So, with the cat with Captain Marquette, you know, um, one of the things that I really stood out for me when we talk about him is he he explains that those people at the top they got all the authority, right? I have all right. the authority, but. Because they're not the worker bees, they're not the one closest to the action, they don't have the information. It's that lack of information uh, for the ones at the top. However, the ones at the bottom have the information. They know what's going on. They know, you know, these different whatever the task is. And that's why he says sometimes you got to let them, you know, have that kind of um, uh, authority at the bottom. You got to relinquish that authority. Yes. and, and you know, Cat Marquette says there's only three things he can't delegate. I can't delegate his legal, my legal responsibilities. I can't delegate my relationships, and I can't delegate delegate my knowledge. But what he really highlights is, you know, I can't be responsible for everything, but I am responsible for the training of those people that have all the information. So he has a vision, uh, and and there's a picture right in the book. So basically I share my vision with you as my subordinate, you know, team leaders. And then you use that vision or t- and then you come up, you use that and the authority that I delegate you to, to control things in a manner that makes more sense. Yes. And, and the example he gives with the sub is, you know, he's given a command, but they're blindly following him Yes, because he has authority, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, in army we say, "Hey, as long as it doesn't, it's not uh, ethically or morally or uh, incorrect or unsafe, right?" Mm-hmm. Uh, you follow that command. You think about basic training. We were absolutely in basic training, the blind f- uh, following the blind. All they tell you is, "Hey, private, do what the guy in front of you does." That's that's how we first learn, and then as we progress through our career and we gain this knowledge. We start getting some authority from our, you know, our Sergeant E5 gives us a little authority as as a specialist to make some decisions. And this is how we grow who we are as a leader, which then aids in the culture of the organization. So the basic training thing really stood out to me at first, because I remember just follow the soldier in front of you. It didn't matter what they were doing. Just do what they're doing. Yes. And and that's what we did. Right. You remember (laughs) like little
0: silly things too, like. Uh
1: you know, whatever to push up, whatever exercise you just do with the guy in front of you is doing private.
0: Funny. That's how I learned how to shine my boots. Ed, i, I there wasn't a drill sergeant that sat there and showed us how to shine our boots. I looked over and there was a guy shining boots. I said, hey, that's not how you do it. He's like, yep, you just do it like this. And I did exactly like him. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That, so that's, it's funny. I got really, so the guy that taught me how to shine boots was also narcoleptic. I don't know how he got in the army, some recruiter shady stuff. So he would be <laughs> He would be shining boots, having a full conversation with you and go to sleep (laughs) And while shining a boot. He would just close his eyes, put his head down, and then you'd wait like, you know, 60 seconds and he'd pop his eyes open and keep shining like nothing had ever happened. It was the craziest (laughs) thing ever. But he taught me how to shine boots. Um, But, you know, eventually we we get so we go from blind, you know, blindly in the blind. And then we go into being groomed to be the leader. And then we start grooming the leaders. And then now we're setting that culture in and the organization. And, and that's one of the things that all the talk about cat Marquette really stood out for me, uh, was that, and, and, you know, and, um, he also, one of the things, so when you talk about that book, you're talking about turn the ship around. And the one thing that Simon highlights is that cat Marquette changed one thing in the culture. One of the main things he changed was instead of saying permission to, which is a very Navy thing, right? Permission to, you know, whatever, submerge. He turned it into the word intent. They weren't even allowed to say permission anymore. So sir, request permission to submerge the ship, permission granted. That was the normal, but then it turned into more of a, sir, I intend to submerge the ship because now I'm making, it It gives me a little more um, possession of that decision, if, if that makes sense, Brian. Some ownership there. Yeah, and and so there's some ownership there, but he doesn't let you off the hook, you know, because the role of the leader is not barking commands and be completely accountable for the success and failure of a mission. Sounds like that would be very close to what we're supposed to do as leaders, but the leader should be the one who takes responsibility for the success of each member. It's our job to ensure that that all of our team is well-trained. We say it all the time as non-commissioned officers. What do we do? We train the force. That's our mission. And then we are confident in the training we provided them. So when we worked at the Academy, Brian, when that class graduated and we graduated, whatever, your eight-man squad or eight-soldier squad, right, Mm -hmm. you were confident that you had successfully trained them to perform their duties of the next level. At least I know that was my goal. When I sat down after they left – and and did all the handshakes and they got their paperwork i sat down and was like did i send eight future ncos out there Mm. And, and that's what you wanted to do you wanted to be the one so that's what you're confident as you train them to perform their duties um and then when they do mess up that's where the accountability piece comes in brian i think this whole chapter is basically that you know that really boils down to uh the leader sets the tone that drives the culture and the culture drives the company. And I think that's how these two chapters come together, Brian, where are your thoughts?
0: I, I agree with you. And that's why it's like, I'm ready to dive into the next chapter because it really hits upon. It's almost like as, and I love the way Simon does this. He's building upon a subject. The very next one is talking about integrity, integrity matters, and it's going to help um, solidify the leader and then the culture itself. Uh those of you listening, hey, I know we're 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 about halfway through this and we're getting pretty deep into some conversation here and it's funny Ed, uh I have to apologize to my brother-in-law Chris. Uh he listens and he's like, "Man, you guys you guys really get into him and I don't get to finish a full one as I'm driving around and stuff." I'm I'm like, "Well, then just keep listening because you know, it'll, it'll pick up where it left off. So Chris, I know you're listening, man. So make sure you keep listening, even though, uh, you didn't get through this whole episode, whatever drive you're on to do whatever job you're doing. Just keep listening, brother. Cause I'm telling you, this is, this is good information for those of you out there. Uh, we may get a little long winded about this stuff, but it's, it's not because we want to talk it, but it's more about like our passion for, the topic and the subject and how to diversify a little bit as leaders. Uh, so integrity matters, Ed. Yes. He gets into this story. Uh, you, do you, you remember the story. Uh, it, it's really talking about uh, Marine OCS process. And it's basically more of like a selection process for Marines to become officers. And he's, he's basically, he's talking to this Colonel who's in charge of it, who actually shows up late to this meeting with him because he was dealing with a situation. And here's the situation, and this is this is the words of the colonel. Basically, he says, on this particular day, something had happened with one of the officer candidates that warranted the attention of the colonel. In fact, it was so serious that they were considering throwing the candidate out of OCS altogether. My curiosity bubbling, I asked, what the candidate had done? that could potentially end his career as a as an officer in the Marine Corps. It must have been pretty serious. I wondered what crime he had committed. He fell asleep on watch, said the colonel. Ooh. That's it, I said. You guys are stricter than I thought. This guy fell asleep. He wasn't in combat. He didn't put any lives at risk. He fell asleep in the woods of Virginia, and that's enough to end his career, I thought to myself. It has nothing to do with his falling asleep, said the colonel. When we asked him about it, he denied it. When we asked him about it again, he denied it again. Only when we showed him irrefutable proof did he say, I'd like to take responsibility for my actions. The problem we have, said the colonel, is that taking responsibility for one's actions must happen at the time you perform your actions, not at the time you get caught. Mm. And so he says later on right here, Ed, This, is this and this is the part that I, I really enjoyed right here. If Marines told to obey their officer, suspect for a second that the officer would avoid the truth or not take responsibility for their actions simply to cover their own tail or make themselves look better, then the circle of safety shrinks and the entire fabric and efficiency of the group of Marines decays. So basically he's, he was trying to do it because he, one, he didn't know he got caught, but if you get caught, this is, this falls right into our Jocko talk about ownership. If you got, just say, yeah, I fell asleep. I made a mistake and I shouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. I will do everything in my policy in, in my ability to not do it again. And it's okay to say, if you made a mistake now, if you're continuously making the same mistake over and over and over again, we may have, we, we definitely get a discipline problem and we may have a training problem uh, and it may just be an ability problem. So, but that's, to me, that's a big thing, Ed. Uh, our brain, it, you know, it, it tends to interrupt the information we receive with our, our survival in mind. If you think about it, uh, if we suspect our leaders are bending the truth to basically favor their own interests, then our subconscious minds, they prefer we don't climb into a foxhole with them. All right? And, and I'm going to get into something about that foxhole, but when it comes to integrity, like that is I have said it once a million times. I said it to my soldiers and I actually it's funny, I'll go into a story in a minute about it, but I think it's the bedrock. I think it's the foundation. And the reason I, you know, I said about a story. So we were in we were in uh, a, a particular senior leader's office to give a soldier a uh, Article 15 field grade level. Um, at, this was some time back, and the the particular officer who's basically kind of the judge. Those of you who don't know, you know, when Article 15 happens, the the officer in charge is the judge, um, but sometimes he likes to hear the opinions of others. Well at the time we were finished the entire proceedings. And then he wanted us to verbalize our opinion on the situation with the soldier at hand of what happened. And I said that I felt like the integrity was what was completely lost in the entire situation. And that the foundation that we all should be standing on is our integrity because everything else built off that. Now that particular officer had said, you know, no, well, no integrity is not it's trust. And I'm like, well, you get trust from your integrity. So I feel like it goes back to integrity. But it's just the idea of it, you know. It's the idea that this person did something that was uh, pretty bad, and didn't want to tell the truth about it. And that's really what caught them up in the entire situation is the, is the truthfulness of it. Uh, you've probably, I think, you had a story sometime back Ed about um, an individual and their integrity uh, dealing with a range.
1: Well, yeah,
0: but that's not the one. No. So you
1: asked me to tell a different
0: one. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you asked me to tell a
1: different one. So uh, this week, you know, obviously, with the COVID-19 thing, there's some precautions we've put in place. And one of the precautions is that soldiers are at the gates of all the military installations here. And we have four questions that we have to ask. And you ask these questions and if they give no responses, then they get access to the installation. If they say yes to any of the questions, then you give them a slip and you tell them, Hey, you need to call your chain of command and let them know that I've rejected you from uh, coming back on the installation. So uh, you're going to have to call them and then you give them the nurse's hotline, right. For the COVID-19 screening. Well, the guy comes through and we're like, Hey, have you been diagnosed with COVID-19? No. No. Uh, Do you have a temperature of 100.4 degrees? No. Have you been in close contact with someone displaying flu light symptoms or diagnosed with COVID-19 in the last 14 days? And this officer says, oh, well, my buddy has flu light symptoms, but he was tested. It's not COVID-19. And we said, but he does have flu light symptoms. Yes. Okay. Unfortunately, sir, I'm not going to allow you access to this installation at this time. Because that's you know, that was one of the questions. And he says, Well, I got on here Monday. Okay, that was Monday. That means somebody either didn't answer ask you the right question or the question right or did not do the right thing. However, today is Thursday and here's your slip. I'm gonna need you to call your chain of command, turn around, and I've denied you access. I need your ID number. Because it's an integrity thing. Like you're you're talking about making people sick. And I could have easily been like, Well, you're a captain and you know, you did get on Monday. So let me let you in, you know? Um, but at least he w- he was honest. He could have also, because the way the screening works, he could also said, no, uh, the suggestion I made is the last question would be, have you been denied access to this installation in the last seven to 14 days? I would make them compromise their integrity. That's what I would do. If you say, yes, I have, then I'm going to turn you around again, but I would make you have to compromise your integrity, uh, it's a good to work if because some you know that same captain that i turned around he could have came back the next day it was a different crew so yeah, yeah. The, that integrity piece now the problem i have with the story in the book brian is i'm a 1990s raised soldier <laughs> Uh i also study military history and i will tell you that if you ever read the book about face by colonel hackworth uh, they found a soldier on guard duty sleep. Now, granted, this was in war. And he put a 45 to the soldier's temple and said, if I ever find you asleep again, I'll blow your head off. Now, when I came up in the 90s, if you got caught sleeping on guard duty, it was 45 days automatic. That There was no where you sleep. It, it was 45 days period because it was uh, trained the way we fight. Right. That's how we're always taught so it was a train so if he's going to sleep in the foxhole in the woods of Fort Drum he's going to sleep in the foxhole in Saudi Arabia or wherever yeah, you know, yeah, the conflict yeah. is at that time so i have i have an issue with that but that's just me i don't think you end a career over it but yeah. i also don't think you go well he told me the truth but in this case this guy didn't even see what the what's the repercussions he don't even know what was going to happen to him really he lied and now he's getting kicked out of this prestigious program because he had no integrity so well deserved yeah exactly
0: yeah and and that's that's the whole thing we're we're talking about the circle the circle of safety which is built upon trust which starts with integrity to build that trust you know so building trust requires nothing more than telling the truth uh it's it's really not that complicated it's an easy <laughs> formula <that> hard. <laughs> it's not that hard for some reason too many people or leaders of organizations fail to tell the truth or opt to spin something to appear that they did nothing wrong. I've, Absolutely. Because they don't want to pay, take, you know, pay for what they did. They would rather spin that situation and say, well, you know, and this is that ownership. This is that ownership. Jocko talks about it in extreme ownership when he took ownership of a fatality that took place. He wasn't, he wasn't <laughs> physically out there with them when that happened but it happened right he wasn't at the actual scene where the 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 person was shot yeah but he took ownership and said i did not do my job well enough to make sure that didn't happen he took ownership and you know i want to leave with one last part of this integrity thing and then we'll jo- we'll dive into the next the next chapter but Every single one of us should look at our managers or our leaders or whoever just runs our company or, or organization, big or small, and ask ourselves a question. The question is, would I want to be in a foxhole with you? And the managers and the leaders or whoever runs the companies who reply uh, who, who rely on our hard work should in turn ask themselves, how strong is our company. If the answer is no, right? So those of you out mm. there, uh, if you don't know what a foxhole is, uh, picture a mm. deep hole in the ground that goes at least to your armpits. If you stood in it's up to your armpits and you would share it with another person. And you're relying upon that other person to basically have their sector of fire, right? That they're mm-hmm. they're shooting and they're taking care of business like they need to in the direction towards the enemy. If that same person's in that foxhole and they're falling asleep and they're not they're not uh, paying attention to their sector of sector of fire, I can't trust them to make sure that the enemy doesn't approach from their side. And I'm overall looking at my side, and next thing you know, the enemy comes up and clips us both because that person wasn't watching their sector of fire. So, so when you think about that, that's what it means by what I. Would I want them to be in a foxhole with me? Do I trust them enough to have my back to, to, to take care of me? And if they say, if if that answer is no, there's, you have larger issues than you think. If you don't trust them that much, there needs to be, there needs to be some communication that takes place. There needs a lot of stuff that, that happen. but that leads me into chapter 20, Ed, which I think is a big part of this. What you got on it, man.
1: All right. So chapter 20, Brian is something that we have talked about before also, Uh, Chapter 20 is friends matter to win or to serve. And, you know, he does is a lot of uh, reference to the political um, culture in the 80s and and moving forward that it's not bad reading. I'm not a real super duper like into the political piece of it, but the message is what's there. And it really talks about how in the 80s. Uh, the Democrats and the Republicans could work together to get something done and they could have disagreements. However, at that time, a lot of them lived in Washington, D.C. So now they're going to church together. They're doing social events together. They're having dinner together. So, you know, one of the things it was kind of remind me of, you know, from nine to five, we're the opposition.
0: But at yeah. five o'clock,
1: yeah. we're friends, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it was like, you know, with me and you, when we worked together, we were the same. No, we weren't. I was getting ready to be the same rank, so we weren't the same rank. But at the NCO Academy, you know, you were very much Sergeant Weber. Um, And away from the NCO Academy, if we were in the gym or if we were, you know, if we were recording a podcast, whatever it was, you were Brian. And, and I think that's what this chapter is really talking about with the, you know, with the constituents and stuff or not the constituents, but the c- Congressman is there's one at work and then there's one away, but those, those bonds, those friendships, I think that you and I worked well together because we had that outside relationship. Um, I think that when you don't, and, and, and this is what Simon talks about when you don't have that outside relationship and it's just strictly, Hey, Sergeant, Sergeant nine to five, boom, boom, boom you don't allow for some trust to be built. I did I trust you when I worked for you? Yes, I did. Did I trust you more when we started doing the podcast and we had more of a personal relationship? Yeah, the trust grew because I understood, you know, uh, when we when we when I worked for you, I don't think I had met, you know, the kids and I really I'd seen Michelle but not really spoke to Michelle. And and as we got closer away from the organization, those bonds grow which then allows that trust. And also, to me, it makes that capital where now Brian and I are not just Sergeant Haley, Sergeant Brian, uh, Weber, we're friends. So now I would even do more for you to help you if you needed it. If, does that make sense?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep, exactly. You know, I
1: I mean, throughout your career, you've had to have seen this. Uh, the, the part of this that really spoke to me is we have talked about walk-around leadership. We have talked about it. When we did the science of likability, we've talked about it in general. And then here, Simon says, all leaders in order to truly lead need to walk the halls and spend time with the people they serve. Eyeball leadership, as the Marines call it. Yes. I, I, I can't agree more. You have to get out of your office. Like where I work now, we're on the fourth floor. Nobody else is up there. Well, there's one supply person. But anyway, nobody's really up there. But. I am the only one that will go to the section that provides the data for us to do our job and just talk to them. I'm the only one that will go down to the transportation guys and just talk to them. I don't work for them. They don't work for me. We work together. But that walk around, that just, I mean, literally just walking in and saying, hey, how was your weekend? Now, this is before social distancing, obviously, and we'll be after of course. But Mm -hmm. I still contact people that I have to rely on and say, hey, any updates on this? How was your weekend? Whatever. So that I'm basically doing a virtual walk around leadership because right now with the social distancing, it's a little harder. But we've talked about you as a first arm, Brian, and how you know how you've done social distancing. But how important is social distancing to you as the senior enlisted advisor in a
0: company? I think it, it kind of ties my hands together a little bit but um so it's funny you say this uh this week uh, I've really spent a lot of time at the organization uh trying to get to know individuals within my organization that I'm about to serve with throughout the week now I go and I'd see a little huddle of people and I just go and I just start talking to them just start a conversation yeah. and it would be something simple uh it could be you know there was some guys working on phase or there was another group of guys they were in their office working on some computer stuff but just start a conversation so yes. one they know that I don't mind communicating to anybody and I'm not going to just be that, that guy. And I don't think the guy that I'm replacing, I don't think he's, he's a bad dude at all. I think he does the same exact thing. That's why I think I'm very blessed to take over again in an organization where somebody's already kind of set up for me in a sense, but I want them to know right off the bat that I'm going to be out and about and I'm going to conversate and I'm going to learn about them because I want them, not only do I want them to trust me, but we can also be sensible human beings together. Uh, I'm not, uh, unless, unless you're in trouble, I'm not one of those, I'm not a big person that people just stand there at parade rest, you know, um, in front of me. You know, if, now if you're in trouble and we're, we're, we're doing some discipline issues, yeah, we're going to, we're going to go to uh, mm-hmm. the formalities of things. But that's, that's usually my limit. I want to be able to have a conversation. I want to, I want to know. About you. And, and it's not because I have to, it's because I really want to know about those individuals. You know, there was a kid just the other day, he's a specialist, seven years in the army. And he says that, well, I think I'm getting out. And I was, why? First thing is, why aren't you promoted? That's the first thing I said. Second thing is, is why are you going to get out? I mean, do you know what you're going to do? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, are you a good technician? And I asked him and and the kid, there was another kid beside me. He's like, oh yeah, he's a great technician. I'm like, well then we want you. I want you a part of my team. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to feel good about being there. And I think, um, I think a lot, what we have is we have too many senior leaders that don't know how to push away from a desk, push away from the keyboard, push away from the chair and get up and move around. That happens too much. Uh, but the thing is, is I've also, you know, it's, it's great to see. I've seen plenty of senior leaders. I saw it in Korea while I was there. I've seen it here where they get out and about, uh, just, I mean, I'm telling you right now in one week alone, Ed, one week alone, there was the division commander, the division sergeant major who visited at least once and the brigade commander and brigade sergeant major who visited a couple times just to our work area of my company. And that, I am mean, I'm like, that's awesome. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's those soldiers get to see those people, and they're you know because they're not they're not cooped up in their little offices and their buildings and their kingdoms. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. Uh, but it's good that they see them and they're and they're conversating. And, and I I'm telling you, Ed, to be to be honest, as I'm re- as we read through this, and I mentioned earlier. I'm excited to become a part of this this new organization because they are already on top of the good culture. They're already on top of the good leaders setting the culture. They're already on top of the integrity. And then they're also on top of friends matter. Now, that doesn't mean I'm best friends with the the, the <laughs> juniors and all that stuff. But I know how to be friendly. I know how to treat them like human beings. And when people are treated that way, you see a different attitude or you see a different work ethic out of them. So that's my thought, brother.
1: Yeah. So it's funny because where I'm at now, like I said, so we're on the top of the building, top floor. It's four floors. It's, 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 it's a hike. I don't like walking the steps, (laughs) but you know, like you would think at our level, we're talking senior leadership, senior DA civilian. You would think it wouldn't bother you that, the leadership does not come there. But to me, the problem we're having is the leadership doesn't have a clear picture of what we do as an organization, as a section. And it's because they do not, since I have been there, I got there in November. I started doing this job. I have not had one person from the, the command team of of our section, of our, you know, our, our section, uh, come visit it all. And, and, you know, in the military, we have these things. um, Oh, what do they call it when when y'all walk around, when the sergeant major walks around? Battlefield circulation. Battlefield circulation. Now, this is what's funny. is I've said before, I don't have a latrine on my floor, so I have to go down two floors. Well, I could go to one. One floor below me is the staff judge advocate, the the legal. I go two floors down because nobody wants to hang out at legal. Um, And the (laughs) the bathroom's cleaner, two floors down. But So I've seen the command team. Two floors down from us, doing battlefield circulation. But never up to us. Now, there's only two green suitors up there. Green suitors mean military personnel. But still, you would think as a senior, it wouldn't bother me. But honestly, Brian, it bothers me. It bothers me because then you go to a meeting and it's like we're insignificant. But that's because you don't understand what we do. And you don't understand what we do because you don't come around. And, And one of the things Simon even talks about here, too, is When we are disconnected from the people with whom we work, we spend more time focused on our own needs than the needs of the people for whom we're supposed to be responsible. And this is why your keyboard uh, soldiers cannot make it as leaders because they're stuck behind that keyboard and they don't get out. So how do they take care of their people? How do they understand, you know, whatever's going on with that person? How do they see one of the soldiers has a black eye? How do they find out, hey, what happened? Oh, oh, the soldier got beat up in the you know in the bar downtown in Seoul, or the soldier's spouse did that like how do they know that because they're not walking around to find anything out and uh, I know especially in the army again, I haven't worked in the civilian sector in a long time, but in the army, if you have a discussion with a soldier, they'll tell you. Things you want to know, things you don't want to know, and things they didn't really want you to know. But they will share it all, you know?
0: <laughs> yes, yes.
1: And I think that's why it's key, Brian. We talk about communication all the time on the show. In the military, we teach communication. but um, And then the other big thing. So social animals that we are, that's, that's that trust. And we talked about it earlier. When we can be social, there's trust. I can tell you um, a few years ago, I was at Fort Drum, worked in a motor pool. And, you know, we were bowling at lunch and here and there, my platoon would go out and bowl and I was a sergeant and we ended up starting two platoon bowling teams. Well, here's what's significant about that. Now, my wife did bowl with us, but two bowling teams takes 10 people to to man, right? Our platoon was only 19. So of the 19 people in my platoon, 10 of us would be at the bowling alley. Oh, by the way, the platoon sergeant didn't bowl, but he would come by and stop in. The platoon leader, Lieutenant King, she would come stop in. So what happens is I was the only, no, there's two of us that were sergeants in the group. But the trust, the familiarity that built with those soldiers, when we deployed, we were like a family already. Uh, and, And so important, so crucial, Brian, that trust. And stuff. And I think in this chapter, when he's talks about friends, that's what he's talking about, he's not talking about, you know, violating any army policy on fraternization. He's not talking about being best buddies and overlooking when you make mistakes, but he's talking about no. building trust through a familiarity with those that you work with and those that work with, uh, for you. And in there, he talks about like the company softball team and, you know, just going out for lunch
0: and, and things of that nature, Brian, I yeah. think that was, to me, that was very powerful. I, you know, Ed, it's crazy. My mind just went straight to if an order comes down from an individual, if I know that individual, I feel a little bit more confident in accomplishing the mission or doing what that person wanted. If I know them, if I'm not, if I don't have a relationship with them of sorts, my heart may not be in it as well, or I may mm-hmm. not, uh, feel as much as in, uh, not wanting to let that person down bearded ninja Absolutely. man bearded ninja would yeah. give us a task we didn't want to fail that guy right i mean straight yeah. up and it's because we knew him and we trusted him i could say that about multiple leaders throughout my career i could also say uh the opposite about other leaders where uh, the only reason i didn't fail was because my name was attached to it i didn't care what it was about them okay so there's there's you couldn't yeah you wanted to right yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I would have loved to drop the ball.
1: Yeah. You wanted to, because you wanted people to see what they were. Yeah. You yep. wanted to, I hate that because you, you want to, you want the mission to fail because yep. the, what's going to make it fail. Isn't your task, yes. but you don't want your name is attached to it. And you don't want it to be on you. So you're like, I, I want them to see what they are as a leader or yep. aren't,
0: but I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. I've done that many times. man. Yep. And I think that falls back on if you're the leader, you need to think about that extreme ownership that we talk about, or that actually Jocko talks about, and we just reiterate. And you think about creating that relationship with those individuals, because now if it does fail, you take ownership of it too. And then you're going to see you're going to see a different look in those people when when you own that failure. They're going to be like, "Whoa, yeah. whoa, why did he do who, or she do that? What? That Absolutely. was my fault, not their. I can't believe this, man. I can't fail that guy again or that girl again. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so it's, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, uh, I totally feel it, Ed. And that's, that was definitely, that one hits me hard, you know, because it's not about being friends, but it's about making relationships. It really is. And,
1: and you know, if you think back way back in the day when we did science like ability, Brian, way back
0: in our first hundred episodes, <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> Or our first 50. I'm sorry. It was the first 50. We're still under 100, 100. brother. <laughs> still under 100. I'm still right. Um, but if you think about what we talked about uh, when we talked about being um, likable, not light, right? Yes. What's, remember we talked about, hey, one of the first things you ask somebody is, oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Maine. Oh, you know, I know somebody from Maine. Man, I love lobster. You guys have the best lobster. We're looking for that connection immediately, yeah. right? Yes. We, that's why we ask people, where are you from? Oh, do you watch football? Well, who do you like? Oh, you, you know what? I like them too. Or I like the rival or because mm-hmm. we, we want to have something in common with people because that is usually the foundation and basis for uh, a friendship to grow yep. is, is that common ground. So I think that uh, that's why, well, when you get a soldier in, right, you're the first sergeant. What are yes. some of the first things you ask him? Are I want married? to know about them.
0: Yeah, I want to know about them. I, I want to know kid. who they are. I I want to understand their mindset on things because then it helps me as a leader or yeah. as the person serving with them to properly lead them the right way because we all communicate differently. We all think yeah. differently. So this individual, I have to lead it a certain way. And then this individual over on the other side, I have to lead another way. So you, you can't use a template uh, that fits everyone. You have to yeah, constantly be no evolving. Together. Yeah, there isn't. It, it just doesn't work, man. And I think, I think that leads us really well into chapter twenty-one. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Let's see what you got. Chapter twenty-one really. It's leadership lesson five, and it's lead the people, not the numbers. So the people, not the numbers. Uh, and I wanted to kind of go into. So they really talk what he talks about right off the bat. If if those of you, uh, if you if you hadn't read it, please read it, but or listen to it. Uh, in the book, he really talks about how shareholders became the dominant force for many companies, not the people working there uh, so if a shareholder because obviously the shareholders are who basically they 're the the ones who fund multiple things and they're they 're kind of like they 're the owners of it, so they want they want to do what the owners want and maybe not what the employees want, but maybe employees may have a better idea on how to build better gains and stuff like that uh, so we have to kind of put. We need to have to learn to put the people within the organization before everyone outside of the organization. When a leader has the humility to distribute power across the organization, so we're going to talk about decentralized command, that's what we're getting into here, the strength of the company becomes less dependent on one person and is thus better able to survive. In this model, instead of trying to command and control everything, the leaders devote all their energy to training building and protecting their people, to managing the circle of safety so that the people can command and control any situation themselves. That's the best way to protect the legacy of the leader and extend the success of the company for many years after the leader departs. So we're thinking about putting those people in front of us by taking care of them. By making sure, for instance, as, as non-commissioned officers, our job in the Army is training. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We have to get accountability. We have to do reports. We have to do all kinds of different stuff. But our primary job is training. Now, yep. as you gain rank and you gain different positions and you, you move up in different positions, now you become an advisor. but. You can't let those individuals can't let that advisor role go to their head. So my job right now is the advisor to the commander. But at the same time, not only am I the advisor to the commander, I'm also the senior NCO who has to establish the training mindset and ensure that my senior NCOs working uh, within my platoons are also doing the same thing. So creating that communication process. So if I were to say, I'm worried about those aircraft and that's it. I just want you to work on the maintenance on those aircraft and only those aircraft. I don't care about everything else. Right. Yeah. Uh, PRT, you can do that on your own. You can, you can do your physical readiness training on your own. To me, that's not putting the welfare of those soldiers before, because now, if I have a soldier that fails a, a P, uh a PFT or ACFT army physical fitness test or army combat fitness test. And I didn't, help them through the proper training to establish some type of battle rhythm and how to, especially, especially brand new private straight out of AIT and stuff. They barely understand, uh, the small nuances of discipline, let alone how to discipline yourself to do a good regimented, um, physical training yeah, in general. absolutely. But if they fail, yeah, if they fail, if they fail one of those events and now they become flagged. So they don't get to get awards. They don't get to get promoted. They don't get to take passes yeah. anywhere. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen. Now, I have failed them because I didn't establish some type of training regiment to help them succeed and be successful. I I don't feel right by putting in the documentation to put them out of the United States Army either because, once again, I failed them. So that where he talked right there. He said it. He said the leader devotes all their energy to training, building, and protecting their people, to managing the circle of safety. I have to look out for the circle of safety. I have to distribute tasks that have to be done. Yes. And I do want to, you know, it's, no one ever said it was easy to be a leader. Uh, you know, one of our old SAR majors, and, and I have to agree with the statement he used to say. He said, if everybody could do it, then every, then it wouldn't be it it wouldn't be spectacular. You know, not everybody can do this, right. (laughs) I have to, not only, not only do I have to establish what needs to be done, but I also have to continue to build and grow constantly leaving the foxhole better than way. I received it. Your thoughts, my man.
1: No, I think that, uh, first of all, I knew exactly who you were talking about with the star major,
0: (laughs) but you know, that's the thing. Like we, he listens, he listens also by the way. Oh, does he excellent? Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he, 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 uh, we talked to a little bit while still at like Campbell about it. So he's listened once or twice, I think.
1: Oh, I like it. Um, but when you talk about <laughs> lead the people, uh, you know, we got, there's things more important than the numbers. And and I know in the, in the book, he talks a lot about businesses and the bottom line, right. And that's what they're focusing on and, and, the, and those type of things. But the leading the people is where we, man, we've talked about trust so much today and, you know, we talked about the culture development and that all comes from leading the, the individual, uh, people, you know, it all, all these today have fed into each other. Um, but it's all based off of being a leader to that, the, to the person and setting the tone from the very top. So for you and your company, you and your commander, y'all set that tone. So when you focus on training the soldier, you're setting that tone that that's, what's important to you. Um, but when you're in an organization where maybe they they you know the focus is on the the maintenance piece and not so much the individual training things, you're right, Brian. That that soldier still has to be able to pass those events to get promoted. Yeah. And when they fail, yes. and you have to you know deny them awards, right, because they failed the the Army Combat Fitness Test. Well, guess what? They need awards to com- to secure promotion points to get promoted. So what you're doing is by not helping them, not teaching them, not focusing on the individual training is you're stagnant in their career. You're letting them not grow. And now the culture in your organization is that the leadership at the top doesn't care about us. And they will put it on a command climate survey in a
0: heartbeat. Yes. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've, I've got a couple a couple more points I want to bring up in this last chapter and then we'll wrap this show. All right. Uh, I like this, this next nice little point. It's actually just down, down a little bit below what I just read because that earlier part was from, uh, it's actually built to last by, uh, by Jim Collins and Jerry Porras earlier about the whole, you know, basically building within and, and doing your job, but a little bit, a blur- little bit further down, Simon writes this and I, I just, to me, I take this to heart cause I, I love it. If the new leader can't command and control as effectively as their predecessor did, it is doubtful many inside the organization will put themselves at risk to advance the leader's vision. They will be too busy trying to protect themselves from each other. Exactly. Yep. So setting that tone from the get-go, and we've we've talked about this, Ed, and it's From the get go, so for instance, I'm not. I didn't come. I didn't come into this organization I'm in right now and just started barking orders Uh and stuff. Now, the other day, we did have a few soldiers that uh, had to go see the commander and they had to have some uh, UCMJ type action take place. And I was in the office. I noticed one of them, actually two of them, had very bad haircuts. Okay, and when I say bad haircuts, I mean as in they didn't get their haircut at all. Now, I understand the circumstances here now but i remember you telling me something that was said within your organization and it kind of it kind of it, it definitely lit the switch of i feel like i may have said the i i definitely said the right thing and i told him i said hey you need to get that hair trimmed up uh it's it's a little bit too long too little shaggy and we're talking um so those of you who don't know in Especially in the army, you you're, the hair on the side of your head is not supposed to actually touch your ears. Well, one of those kids, I'm when I say it was, it was like loaded down. I think it was pushing his ear down a little bit uh, because it was so big, and I was just, I just, but I couldn't get past that idea. So instead of being that blah 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 brah guy, right? Once we were done, I I said, hey, I want to talk to you right after, um, and I'm not his first sergeant yet. I'm the incoming guy. But I I pulled him aside, I said, hey, man, is, is everything all right money wise? Are you able to afford a haircut? And he said, yeah, I still get paid. I said, well, I said, I said, you know, you just went in front of the individual who's de- who is determining your fate on this thing. And you show an appearance that you don't care. Now, I understand whatever happened. You got to you got to own that you. But at the same time, you, your appearance says a lot about you and your ownership at the same time. So we, we need to trim that up. I said, let me see you on Monday, man. I hope, I want you to have, you know, at least trim that hair off your ears a little bit. I understand that we can't, you know, social social distancing right now. We can't, you know, go all of these places, but I mean, at least get it, you know, get it cut off the ears and stuff. But, um, but with that, New leaders have to realize that they've got to understand the situation and don't try to force things down people's throats because you will create this dog-eat-dog world. And that's pretty much the idea I felt behind it. Um, Ed, the very next part, this is actually on that document that you sent me too. Uh, He talks about the performance of a company is closely tied to the personality and values of the person at the top. And the personality and values of the person at the top sets the tone of the culture. It is a given that the profit is the goal of any business that, that I know that for sure. The goal of an aviation organization is to ensure, especially the one I'm in is to ensure the aviation maintenance is complete and the owning unit receives their aircraft back better than what we received it uh, to ensure it can still fly and everything. Right. But, to suggest it is the primary responsibility of a business is misguided. Absolutely. It is the leaders of the companies that see profit as fuel for their cultures that will outlast their dopamine addicted, cortisol soaked competitors. Okay. So if I look at the people and how important the people are, and I concentrate on them, they will take care of the mission. That's the constant. We've we said that multiple times, Ed. Take care of the people. The mission will take care of itself. The people will take care of the mission. That's how you do it. Um, and this is the last piece I want to bring up. And then, Ed, I'll, I'll open the floor to you, brother. Uh, I love this where he says here, good leadership is like exercise. We do not see any improvement to our bodies with day-to-day comparisons. In fact, if we only compare the way our bodies look on a given day to how they looked the previous day, we would think our efforts had been wasted. It's only when we compare pictures of ourselves over a period of weeks or months that we can see the, a stark difference. The impact of leadership is also best judged over time. You know, so we talked about Leaders Eat Last, this book, and we went through the five, um, the five leadership lessons of it. Personally, people have to look at how they're implementing things and what they're doing, but don't expect a drastic change or a drastic notice of things happening. It takes time. It takes You have to build it in the culture. You have to build habit, uh, that, and that can take time. Yeah. But over time, if you're doing this and you're staying repetitive, you're, staying, you're building the trust through integrity. It's going to happen. Ed, what are your thoughts, brother?
1: Yeah, you know, you're right. It does take time because especially if you're trying to fix an organization um, or a team where there's a poor culture uh, currently, you can't just fix that overnight. That culture didn't get poor overnight. No, it took time for it to, you know, to fall into disarray and to get bad. So you have to be patient. And, and, you know, it's too bad we can't take a snapshot of our leadership. Now you can. Again, we've talked about it. There's assessments that you could do on your leadership. And then maybe, hey, in six months, take that same assessment and see if you answer the questions the same. That could be a way of trying to take a snapshot of you uh, as the leader or or of your organization. Um, you know, if you do workout programs, I told, I've shared with Brian, my wife and I are currently doing the uh, DDPY program, which is the old diamond Dallas page, uh, yoga program. And the first thing he says is, and I think this applies to our leadership. He says, Hey, take pictures before you start the program, because you're going to regret in six months that you don't remember uh, and you're not going to see the progress. And I think it's the same thing for our leadership, take a leadership assessment now, because in six months, you know, when you see, oh, man, that changed. Oh, look, I scored higher here than I did before. That's a a, a mm-hmm. winning streak for you as a person. So I think you could take that kind of lesson from, uh, you know, Diamond Dallas Page and, and transfer it over into uh into your leadership. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and your organization. Take a snapshot. You know, when a commander takes over, what, what do they do as soon as they take over pretty much? Like in the first, what, 30 days? I can't remember. It's been a while, but.
0: They have to do it within the first 90 days. They have to do a command culture, uh command climate survey. And,
1: and basically what is that? That's a snapshot of the current culture, right?
0: Uh, uh, yep. And then you reassess down the road.
1: Yep. You reassess like six months later. So now I can see, you know, if I see on the culture, the leadership doesn't care. Senior leaders don't care about us. And then in six months, that's not there. That's an improvement. So those are the, those are some of the tools that we know about, of course, in the military. And I know there's got to be civilian um, equivalents out there for you to try to, to get those snapshots, Brian. And, and I think it will go a long way mm-hmm. in improving you know, the culture of your organization. But a, as I think we learned today, um, but you as the leader is the start because you feed the culture, the culture feeds the company and you as a leader feed that culture through having integrity. And, and through, you know, the friendship piece, the friends matter uh, paragraph we talked about through walking around, getting out. yep, And that's leading the people. Be familiar with your team. Know who you got. How many people do you have from? And we talked about your map thing, Brian, and I'm anxious. I want to actually see pictures if you do that. How many people do you have who are from <laughs> California? How many from Texas? Like Those are common pieces. You know, uh, if you get that one poor soldier who's from North Dakota, because I've only run across a few in my entire career, and you've got somebody who said, who stamped your little map there, Brian, and says, hey, I'm from North Dakota. That's a connection that soldier can have. Hey, sorry, who's that from North Dakota? Oh, that's specialist such and such. They're in this platoon. Oh, now I can make a connection. This new soldier could be more comfortable. So important things to drive that culture, that uh, that, uh, company, Brian, I think this is actually uh, this week's episode. I think it's well-timed with you getting ready to take over another uh, unit. I think this is well-timed. I, I'm hoping, I think you'll find some things in here that you can use. I know I did today, Brian. What are your thoughts?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I, I, I always love to refresh um, information to help keep it fresh in my mind and, and remember the different tactics and techniques used by others. Like I said earlier, uh, I'm reading Jocko's leadership strategies and techniques, because I'm like, you know what I need to, I need to kind of, I want to continue building. And then, you know, getting into this with you again, it actually made me re-listen to the entire book. Uh, That's how, that's what my drives have been. Um, but what you talked about with the map and putting the pins in the board, I actually left mine, uh, that I had in Korea. So the first sergeant could keep going or the commander could keep going with it. And I've got to purchase a new one for here. And, uh, We'll see where it goes, my man. We'll see where it goes. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great talking piece. It was always amazing, kind of doing my in-brief around it. Uh, And it was, that's the whole idea of at least their initial contact with me uh, was we had a, a candid discussion around a map where we get to discuss different things and stuff. It was pretty cool. But with that, you know, Ed, just as well as I do, we always leave the show with a couple of different things. First thing is, is a task. I truly believe that there was a lot to take from this entire show. But the task I wanted to associate it to, it was what you brought up about battlefield circulation. Now, right now, uh, in in time, if people were to try to do that, it's a little bit tougher because of the social distancing and things like that. But I want people to put it on the calendar or put it on the, you know, their to-do list. Um, and not to-do list, maybe they crowd their calendar, <laughs> with it, right? Of doing some battlefield circulation, and it does not matter, does not matter what your position is in an organization, in your family, whatever. I mean, I don't really do a battlefield circulation in my family, but hey, um, but when it comes to the organization, you're a part of, (laughs) why not, (laughs) you know, uh, do, do this battlefield circulation and get out there. You could be, you could be a private working in, um, the S2 securities do a battlefield circulation, get to know the people in your S3 and your S1, you know, and actually get to know their job and understand it. Maybe they're S6. Uh, you could be a male clerk working in a organization, you know, a civilian style organization, do your job to learn what the finance, the HR people are doing and, and get to know them and talk to them, create, you know, take those five minute breaks. You know, there's a, um, there's a, uh, a work to rest ratio, uh, that has been offered up. I've, I've heard it and I've tried to use it myself, working, working hard, steady for 25 minutes and then taking a five minute kind of breather and then 25 minutes of hard work. And then a five minute breather. We'll take that work hard for 25 minutes and then take a five minute breather and go introduce yourself to people and just have kind of conversations with people. That's how you start building trust through that integrity. So the task for today's episode, episode 68 is Learn about battlefield circulations and start using them. Implement that in your tool bag, your influencer tool bag. All right. Ed, there is an important question I have to ask you though. I do. Oh, that's so sweet. That, no, different question. <laughs> <laughs> Whole other question, my friend. Um, if, if I, let's just say I'm somebody, who I don't know what instinctive influencers are and I don't know really how to learn more about them. Is there some place that I could go to help me learn and be a part of this, this bigger thing?
1: Why, yes, Brian, there is. You could check us out on the Instinctive Influencers podcast website. You can check us out. You can meet the faces. You can see some amazing pictures. Uh, you can get to know us, and you can also find links to the show. You can also check us out on various forms of uh, social media, various platforms at 101influence on Facebook. Instagram. We also have Twitter accounts. You can check us out on Twitter. You can shoot us questions, suggestions, feedback. We value it all. You can also find the uh, instinctive influencers podcast on most areas that you like to get your podcast from, but feel free to rate
0: and review the show with that. Please do that. Go to Facebook in the search bar, type in one zero one influence influence go to the instinctive influencers podcast page and leave us a review. Please let us know what you're thinking and be honest. We accept that criticism. If it, if, if you think the show is garbage, let us know why we'll probably reach out to you to ask you your thoughts and how we may be able to improve it because Hey, we only get better through good training and learning from others. That's right.
1: As uh, as Brian has told me before, I mean, yeah, if if you you have a problem with the show, come to us with the problem, but also come to us with a possible solution or a way to improve. Oh. We would greatly appreciate
0: it. You like you like that? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Ed, I don't have much uh, left for the, yeah, I don't have much left for the show, my friend. Um, do you got anything left in the tank? Or are you ready to cut this out?
1: I I think we've uh, I think we've really done a good job this week, and I am receiving um, Facebook pictures of my dinner.
0: Oh, that's time to go eat. All right, brother. Yep. Well, with that, I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Remember, leaders eat last. Get out and do some battlefield circulation. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.